Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The scripture says, so those who received his word were baptized. This Peter is the his there. Those who received Peter's word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you specifically for your word through the book of Acts that gives us a, a prototype of how to live, a prototype of, of what being a follower of Jesus, a spirit-filled follower of Jesus should look like. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to not just seek experiences from you, Holy Spirit, but that we would live a life filled with, empowered by, molded by, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. We're in the third week of our Pentecostal series. We've been taking this whole month of February to focus on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be people of the Spirit. And remember that word Pentecostal, it's nothing to be afraid of. That word Pentecostal just means anything that's related to uh, the events of the day of Pentecost. And we as a church believe that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that's that's just before what we read today, uh, is, is a pattern that can be repeated and should be repeated in Christians today. So when we say we're Pentecostal, that just means that we believe that what happened in the book of Acts is for us today. Amen? And so we're, we're in this series talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he did in the early church, that that work is still continuing in the modern church today. In the first week of this series, we looked at our Pentecostal distinctives, our, 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 our different, what makes us distinct, what is it that we believe, and we talked about our robust theology of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit uh, is not just something for Bible times, but that the Holy Spirit is divine, and that he is a person, and that he is still being poured out and moving in his church today. What God began 2,000 years ago when he poured out his Spirit on the disciples in the upper room, it still continues to the modern day. And then last week, we looked a little more specifically at the Pentecostal experience, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with and immersed in and saturated with the person of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is God's promise for all Christians, that it's a necessity for reaching our full potential in Christ and in his service, and that the miracle of speaking in other tongues or unknown language is the biblical sign that accompanies spirit baptism. Now, I, last week we ended that, and wow, what did God do at the end of service? Three people came forward uh, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All three of them uh, did receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We had a wonderful time at the altar, and don't you just love the presence of God? Don't you just love the Holy Spirit when he moves sovereignly? It's, it's better than any high there is out there. It is better than any emotional euphoria you could experience. When the Holy Spirit, he floods your soul and your heart and your mind, it is a glorious thing. 
And God has been so good to us here at Believers Fellowship as we've been uh, pressing into the presence of God and pressing in uh, to um, the, the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad that we're Pentecostal. I'm glad that we're people of the Spirit who say, Holy Spirit, you can have your way, not just in our church, but in our everyday life. I'm so glad that we've tapped into this spiritual heritage as people of the Spirit. So, so we covered uh, what we believe is Pentecostals week one. We covered that um, uh, the Pentecostal experience that it's available to us last week. And today I want to talk about the practical implications and natural consequences of having that Pentecostal experience. Today, the title of my message is The Pentecostal Life. The Pentecostal Life. It's not just enough to have a one-time experience with God. As people of the Spirit, we don't just seek a single encounter with the Holy Spirit. After that experience, we live a Pentecostal, Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life. It should define our lifestyle. In Acts chapter 2, the biblical writer Luke uh, gives us the account of the day of Pentecost. And we've read about that the past two weeks when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the early church. And we, we looked at that. And 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were in the upper room in unity, praying and fasting and seeking God, waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. And as they're praying, they've been there for 10 days, fasting and praying and seeking God. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit fell. There was a rushing wind. There was fire falling from heaven. And, and the Holy Spirit fell fills each one of his disciples, and they each spoke in a language they had never learned before. Uh, they spoke in tongues, that language that God gave them. And then a crowd gathered around those disciples as they went out into the streets, and they were speaking in other languages, and Jews from all over the known world were there in the capital city to celebrate the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And they're, they're in wonder and awe hearing these Galileans speak in languages they couldn't possibly have learned. And they ask what's going on and what, what is this all about? And Peter stands up freshly filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches a salvation message and explains that this is God's promise for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. And that's where we pick up this morning at the end of Peter's message. He says, hey, you can be saved from a wicked generation. You can be forgiven of your sins and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit too. And when he gives that altar call, 3,000 people in one day responded to the word and they were baptized there on the spot and joined the family of God. What if 3,000 people showed up this morning and said, okay, we wouldn't even know what to do with all those people. That would cost it. But God, could you do it again? God, could you bring people and draw them to the Holy Spirit that's working here in this church, in this place? And Lord, we'll figure out the problems they'll cause later. But God, bring them here. And we're believing, Lord, that he's going to bring people to our church to, to experience this. But this how happens. Peter preaches. 3,000 people uh, decide to follow Jesus. They follow the Lord in water baptism. And then right after that, in verse 42, Luke takes a few lines to describe what life was like for these first 3,120 Christians. These first people who were following after Jesus. 
and what their life looked like every day. These were the earliest Christians there were. These were the Christians who were there on the day of Pentecost. Many of them were also witnesses to the crucifixion. A lot of them were witnesses to the resurrection. All of them were witnesses to the fire falling from heaven and the Holy Spirit filling those first disciples. All of them were there when Peter preached that first message and they responded. So if anyone's Pentecostal, these Christians who were there on the day and saw the first time the real thing. They are definitely Pentecostal. And, and Luke is telling us what their life was like, what, what their life as Christian spirit-filled believers was really like. He takes this time and, and he says, what, what are these new believers, fresh, real, empowering experience with the Holy Spirit? What's it like? And if our desire is to be the same kind of Christian as they were with fresh, real, empowering experiences with the Holy Spirit, then our lives should at least in some way resemble or reflect what we see here in the scripture. Amen? The church in Acts is the prototype for the entire Christian church down through history. They were Pentecostal in the purest sense of the word. They believed, uh, they had been there at the first Pentecost. So if we as believers who understand that the upper room experiences for us today, we should desire to have experiences similar to them, but also live a life similar to them. So looking at the lifestyle of the early church in Acts 2, there are a few things we can observe and then that we can strive to replicate in our own lives. The first thing that I see in this scripture is the Pentecostal life is a biblical life, a biblical life. Luke wrote in the scripture says that these earliest believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing he says about them. When he's describing how they lived, he says the first thing you need to know, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And when I was studying this passage, I was intrigued by this word devoted because, you know, we, we use that word kind of a lot, and, and we're not sure really what it means, but we even in our Christianese language, we talk about doing devotions, and that's, that's reading the Bible and spending time with the Lord in prayer, but then we talk about people, an individual being a devoted spouse or, or a devoted mother. You read in obituaries all the time, those kind of things, right? And then sometimes people are devoted to their family. We say they're devoted to their job or to their church. Well, I looked up the meaning of the original language here when it was written, and this is, this is what that word devoted really means a continuous state of readiness to learn and to respond appropriately. That's what he's saying there. They, they, they were in a continuous state of readiness to learn from the apostles and respond appropriately, to carefully consider. He's saying that the early Christians sat at the feet of the apostles in a continuous state of readiness to learn more about God and learn more about how to follow Jesus. And for them, it wasn't just about learning intellectually the, the, the truth of Scripture. It, was, it wasn't about learning the theology of the faith. It was more than that. It was about learning and then responding appropriately in your life. Not just learning what the scripture says, but then how to walk that out in your everyday life. So for the early Christians, following Jesus wasn't just about believing the Holy Bible, and it wasn't just about knowing scriptures from the Holy Bible. It wasn't just about having an intellectual knowledge of the Holy Bible. There's a whole lot of people that have that. When we say the Pentecostal life is a biblical life, we mean it's not just about studying the Holy Bible. It's about living a a holy life. 
The Pentecostal life is a life of seeing what God has done in the scriptures and then devoting ourselves to that truth. Not simply learning the truth, but responding appropriately to the truth. Living out that truth in our daily lives. The disciples in the earliest days of the church, they took holy living seriously. It was a big deal. If you read the book of Acts and do a study, half the book of Acts is them figuring out, am I sinning by doing this, and what do I need to do to keep from sinning? They were all about living a holy life and making sure they were living in a life that reflected the person of Jesus. They wanted to make sure they responded appropriately to the truth of Jesus and his resurrection. They were serious about making sure that their lives lined up with the words they read in the Old Testament scriptures and the words they heard the master teach and the words they heard the apostles teach. Living scripturally or living biblically means living holy. The word holy, it means different or set apart or separate from sin. It doesn't necessarily mean perfection. No one's perfect. No one's one's got it all right. But it does mean to never settle for less than perfection, to always be striving to be a better person, always be striving to look more and more like Jesus in your everyday life and in your everyday walk. There's always more that God can do in our lives. There's always more freedom we can find from sin. And it's saying a constant pursuit of a life that reflects the holiness of Jesus. It is an oxymoron to speak of Pentecostal people who are not also holiness people. It, it, you can't have it. Now, I know that many times we get this word holiness mixed up with, and I've talked about this before, with a, with a type of um, style of clothing or certain legalistic rules and, and traditions of men that the church has adopted over the years. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. You can dress modestly without dressing like a nun. You don't have to look Amish. You can cut your hair like it's going to be okay. I'm not talking about those rules of men that have come down through the ages. Uh, ladies, it's okay if you wear pants instead of a dress. I'm not talking about all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with those convictions. There's nothing wrong with those standards that Christians have, but those aren't what we mean when we say holiness or holy living. We do know, however, that there are some scriptural expectations that the Bible does expect us as Christians to live up to. We know that there are things that Jesus spoke and that the apostles wrote in the New Testament to define what living a holy life really means. There are things the Bible says don't do, certain sinful lifestyles or habits. And then there are things the Bible says to do, things like the fruit of the Spirit, Love, peace, gentleness, kindness, those kinds of things. Generosity. And to be Pentecostal, to be people of the Spirit, means to take those scriptural instructions seriously and endeavor to see our lives reflect those instructions. But here's the great thing. As people of the Spirit, we don't have to do that on our own. In our flesh, it's impossible. That's the whole reason Jesus came in the first place. We can't live up to the standard. But the Holy Spirit living inside of you is just that. He is holy. And if you will yield to him and allow him to move and direct your life and guide you, he will help you live a holy life. 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. What? That saying is that if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and then especially if you're a Christian who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the power you need inside of you to live a life that God would have you to live. You have everything you need. 
That means if you've ever been told by a preacher or a teacher or a parent that as a Christian, sometimes you just have to settle for failure or you just have to settle for addiction or you just have to settle for sin. It's always going to be there. You're never going to grow past it. That's not the truth of the Bible. Peter says that inside of you, you have everything you need to live a life that is worthy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to live a life of consistent victory over sin. You don't have to settle for anything less than what God has provided for you. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not saying that I never sin. I'm saying, though, that when I sin, it's my responsibility because I have everything I need not to. And so I need to take responsibility for that, submit that to the Lord and say, Lord, your power is within me and I can live a godly life because of it. Help me overcome this. Amen. That's biblical. In the early 1900s, at the early revivals like Azusa Street, you would often hear the early Pentecostals referring to being filled with the Holy Spirit as being baptized in love, a baptism of love. If you read their their newspaper clippings and their journals, they would talk about when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was like being filled with love or being baptized with love. It's a very common way of referring to this encounter with God. And it's biblical because we know that God is love. We know that the first fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians is love. So, of course, when the Holy Spirit saturates and overwhelms our lives, we should expect a deeper, uh, broader, bigger capacity for love to come with it. Love for God and love for other people. Holiness, then, biblical living, then, lives filled with the Holy Spirit, then, are all about being filled with overflowing with and saturated with the love of God. So you can speak in tongues all you want to, but if you're not a loving person, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. You do not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life. Love is the enduring evidence of the Holy Spirit. Love is the lasting evidence of the Holy Spirit. Biblical living is all about love. Holy living is all about love. Spirit-filled living is all about love. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are what? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. And when he told them that, he said all the other laws that you'll find in the Bible hang on one of these two. All of them do. If you go back and look at the Ten Commandments, you'll see the first four. Worship one God. Don't have idols. Keep the Sabbath. They all talk about loving God how to love God appropriately. The last six of them that you'll read, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie. All of them are about how you treat your neighbor. All all of God's laws hang on loving God and loving your neighbor, amen? Living a holy life is all about love. Let me just say this. I I prayed about this and I was like, I talked to Katie about it some. I didn't wanna get on a, a soapbox up here and start preaching against things, you know, but but you got to live holy. So don't do this. Don't do that. And so I really prayed for discernment about what, is there anything specific the Lord would have? And I'm going to, I'm going to maybe say just one thing that I feel like the Lord has for us today. One of the trends I have noticed lately in our current, even Christian culture is a lack of loving communications, communication from Christians on platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and even national voices in the news media. I want to encourage you, maybe even gently rebuke you if you need it. Before you post anything, you need to pray and you need to think. Does what I'm about to say and what I'm about to share reflect a life of love for God and love for my neighbor? 
And not just the neighbor who agrees with me theologically or not just the neighbor who agrees with my politics, but the neighbor who isn't a follower of Jesus, who is a different skin color as, as me, my, my neighbor who doesn't quite see the world the way I do, who isn't the same nationality as me, is what I'm saying and what I'm sharing showing love to those people. Because he didn't just say show love to the neighbor you like. He said show love to the neighbor that hates you. He said love your enemies. So, so you hear what I'm saying? So just, just take that for what it is. Before I, everything I'd say or do or post should in some way that should reflect the life that loves God and loves my neighbor. Here it is. Pray before you post. Say that with me. Pray before you post. Amen. We believe in living a holy, loving life. The Pentecostal life is a biblical life. A biblical life is a holy life. And a holy life is a life that is a life of love for God and love for our neighbor. Amen. Another thing I see in this scripture, it says he, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so that's biblical, and then they also devoted themselves to prayer. The Pentecostal life is a life of prayer. We read in Acts 2 that they were devoted to prayer. Pentecostals are people of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that God answers prayer. We believe that the hand of God is moved by our prayers. We believe that prayer is vital and essential to the Christian life. And you can go through and read and Acts and see the importance of the early church placed on personal prayer, and not only on personal prayer, but also on corporate prayer. When challenges came and the early church faced deadly persecution, what did they do? They called a prayer meeting. They said, we're going to get together as disciples and we're going to pray together. And then when the woman in Joppa died and they called Peter to do something about it, the first thing he did, he went in the room where she was laying and he got on his knees and he prayed. He prayed before he ever tried to pray for to do anything, prayed for, before he ever expected a miracle. He prayed and then he got up and told the woman to get up and she was resurrected. In Acts 13, the church felt it was time to take the message of Jesus further than Jerusalem and Judea. And they prayed and the Holy Spirit led them to embark on the first missionary journey ever. And then Paul on that missionary journey, on one of those missionary journeys, he landed at a city called Philippi. It was the first time a Christian had been in Europe. And he did, what he did was the first thing, he was by the river and he found a place to pray. And while he was praying, God sent him a wealthy woman named Lydia who supported him financially and supported the ministry there in Philippi. And the first church of Europe ever was there as a result of him finding a place to pray. In that same city, Paul and Silas were eventually put in prison in chains for preaching about Jesus. And the Bible says at the midnight hour, they were praying. They were singing songs. They were praising God. They were communing with the Lord. And an earthquake shook the ground. And the shackles fell from their bodies. And they were freed. These early Christians who were freshly filled with the Holy Spirit were people of prayer. The early Pentecostals in 1900 were people of, in the early 1900s were people of prayer. We've talked a lot about Azusa Street. If you walked into that old barn where the Azusa Street revival took place at any time of day, even in the wee hours of the morning, you would find those saints around the altar praying, kneeling or laying before the Lord in prayer. And as the Apostle Paul said, uh, they, they did what the Apostle Paul said. They were praying in their understanding and they were praying in the Holy Ghost in that unknown tongue. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed some more. In fact, their services looked nothing about how we do service today. Their services were completely prayer driven and they just preached as the Spirit led them as they were spending time with the Lord. 
they prayed. And more than a church service, they were prayer meetings. And when they prayed, the power of God came. And they were saved and sanctified and delivered and healed and sent out to share the message of God's love and power to the world. I want you to see a connection here. We first mentioned that the Pentecostal life is a biblical life. And it's also a prayer life. See, you can't live a holy biblical life without a prayer life. You can't live holy without a prayer life. The place of prayer is where we find the strength, power, and maturity to live holy. I want you to hear this. I said this some on Sunday nights. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you think God ought to do. The primary purpose of prayer is not a grocery list. It's not a, it's not a, a set of directions or instructions for how God should run the universe. No, in fact, the primary purpose of prayer is about intimacy and communion with God that shapes and molds us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It's not about just getting what we want. There is a, there's a part of prayer that's that where we make requests and Jesus says, make your requests known to God and pray without ceasing. And, and he says, ask and you shall receive. All of those things are true, but that's not the primary reason we pray. The primary we, reason we pray is communion with God, is connection with God. Communion with our Creator, building ourselves up as we pray, listening to the Holy Spirit as He speaks, as He teaches us, as He corrects us, as He gives His counsel. At least half of your prayer time should probably be in quietness and not talking. Prayer is more than just asking God to change my situation. Prayer is allowing God to change me from the inside out. Your prayer life is what empowers you to live a holy life. One of the reasons that when Katie and I came, we instituted a Sunday evening prayer service is to encourage you and to build up a culture of not just individual prayer, but corporate prayer, coming together just for the sake of communing with God in prayer. If you don't attend prayer service, I, I want to encourage you on Sunday nights to come at 6 o'clock and be a part of it. It's only an hour. It's casual. It's simple. There's nothing fancy about it at all, but it is powerful. It is a time of spending time. We always have focused prayer. We'll pray about a situation or, or a circumstance in our nation or in our community. We'll pray for a missionary every week. We pray for the individual needs of our church. And then we, we, we'll, we just pray. And we have worship and we have a short devotion. Right now I'm teaching on the prayer life of Jesus and his example of, of what a prayer life should look like. And already we've received testimonies of healings. We've heard of financial miracles. We've heard of God doing amazing things. And you want to in on what's happening on Sunday. Sunday nights. You want in on not just your individual prayer life, but coming together as a church to pray. We believe in prayer. And as Pentecostals, we believe in the prayer language. We believe that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you receive a spiritual language that you didn't learn, the unknown tongue. And as Katie said at the end of service last week, she said, that is something you should do if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You should do every day. You should pray in that language that God has given you. You should pray in the Spirit because it is a key to spiritual strength and intimacy with the Lord. 
And that's not just me talking. That's what the Bible says. Jude 20 says that when you pray in the Holy Spirit, when you pray in that spiritual language, it builds your faith. It increases your faith. It, it gives us a greater capacity of faith in our lives. And then Paul told us in 1 Corinthians that speaking in tongues, it edifies us. It builds us up. It strengthens us. And he also wrote in Romans that when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray through you with utterings you can't understand. And so when you're praying in that spiritual language, he gives you, you, you don't understand intellectually what you're saying, but the Holy Spirit is speaking the perfect will of God over your life and over your situation and over your being and your existence. It's God speaking through us and speaking his perfect will and plan over you. So we believe in praying in the Spirit. So the Pentecostal life is a biblical life. It's a life of prayer. Third, it's a life of worship. The Pentecostal life is a life of worship. We see in this passage in Acts chapter 2 where the disciples, they come together. It says they're devoted to the fellowship. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. They're devoted to coming together in the temple daily and breaking bread in their houses together regularly. They are all about coming together as a body of Christ and worshiping Jesus. All about worshiping God. They were people of worship. They devoted themselves uh, to gather together, to breaking bread, and not just eating together, but observing the Lord's Supper. And so today at the end of service, we will do just that. We will devote ourselves to breaking bread together and remembering uh, the, the body of Jesus that was broken for us and the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. It says they went to the temple daily to worship God together. They met together in their homes to worship. Now, Worship is not just about what we do here on Sunday mornings. And worship is not just about the musical portion of a church service. Worship is about lifestyle. Worship is about how you live your life. Everyone on the face of this planet worships something. Each individual on this planet worships something. But think of it this way. Worship is worth-ship. Worship is worth-ship. What is worth the most in your life? That's the thing you're worshiping. Whatever you consider worthy, whatever you consider worth your time and attention and, and, and your, your work and your efforts, those are the things that you worship. Everybody worships something. It is us expressing whatever is worthy or most important in our lives. Some people worship nature. Some people worship statues. Some people worship stars and constellations. Some people worship a flag. Some people worship their political leaders. Some people worship their jobs. Some people worship their paychecks. Some people worship a deer stand. Some people worship their families and their children even. Some people worship their boyfriend or girlfriend. Some people worship alcohol or drugs. A lot of people worship their own self and their own ego. But everyone worships something. We worship whatever we place as a primary focus and priority in our lives. Someone once said, you show me your calendar and your bank statement, I can tell you exactly what you worship. Take a moment to think about it. What are you worshiping? I'm not asking about your church attendance, and I'm not asking about uh, the, that that's part of it. I'm, I'm not asking about, you know, how much money you give. To, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if someone took a detailed inventory of your life, how you spend your time, your energy, and your resources, 
the words you speak, the thoughts you have, your attitude toward your family, your neighbor, and people you don't agree with? What do your choices, your actions, and words say about what is really worthy to you and what's really worth the most in your life? The Pentecostal life, as people of the Spirit, our entire lives should express love, worship, and devotion to Jesus. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit will always testify of Jesus. He will always inspire us to worship Jesus in deep and meaningful ways. For people of the Spirit, Jesus isn't just a part of our lives. Jesus is our life. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. It says to submit our entire lives as humble living sacrifices to God. And of course that spills over into our corporate worship services. Of course that, is, that spills over into how we worship God with passion and emotion when we come together. They jeered at those early Pentecostals and called them derogatory names like shakers and holy rollers. And they were, they were thrown out of their denominational churches for their intense and extravagant expressions of praise. Uh, Pentecostal worship has always been misunderstood. It has always been ridiculed, but they ridiculed them at Acts chapter 2 also. They said they're obviously drunk. There's always been ridicule for our kind of worship, for our kind of devotion to Jesus. Uh, the denominations hated them because they were different. The secular world hated them because they believed them to be fanatics. The clan hated them because they were integrated. They, they burned their churches. They tarred and feathered people. Even in the 1900s, people who believed what we we believe. They, they hated them because they dared to worship together. Blacks and whites brought together to worship God in spirit and in truth. It has always been misunderstood. It's always been made the butt of jokes. But you know what? <laughs> I am all about worshiping God without my own uh, dignity and without my own pride because I want all that God has for me. And if you knew where I would be if I didn't have him, you'd understand why we get happy every now and then. You'd understand why we get excited every now and then. But, but that didn't stop them from worshiping. None of that did. It didn't stop them from shouting and praising because the Pentecostal life is a life of extravagant, deep, and real worship to God. Next week, we're going to go even further into that. We're going to talk about Pentecostal worship. We're going to talk specifically about how to have a, a spirit-filled worship service. But it's more than your worship service. It's about your life. It's about your lifestyle. So the Pentecostal life, it's a life of worship. And it's a life of mission. We're living in the age of the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is on a mission to draw all men to Jesus and all men into a saving relationship with their creator. The Holy Spirit is always seeking to draw more people to Jesus. Always. The Acts 2 church lived biblically. They lived holy. They prayed. They worshiped. And as a result, Luke writes that they gained favor with all of the people and that the Lord added to their number daily. When the Spirit fell on the disciples at Pentecost, they spoke in tongues, a crowd gathered, and the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to share the gospel, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Later, Peter's praying in Acts chapter 10. He's worshiping. He's spending time with the Lord, committing himself to live for God, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and sends him to a Gentile named Cornelius' house to preach. Now, Cornelius was a different race. He was a different class of person. He wasn't even of the same re religious tradition at all. But Peter went, and as he preached there, Cornelius and his household and his servants all chose to follow Jesus. What am I saying? Peter got in touch with the Holy Spirit and communed with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit told him to go and preach the gospel. 
In Acts 7, when the disciple Stephen is arrested and put on trial, he's facing certain death for his belief in Jesus. But he gets filled with the Holy Spirit even as they're stoning him and killing him. And he preaches a message. And he says, hey, you can have this kind of peace. And you can have this forgiveness. And you can have this relationship too. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to share Jesus. When Paul and the other disciples were in a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit spoke and sent Paul out on his first missionary journey. When the Holy Spirit fills a Christian, he will always increase our Christian's desire and capacity to share the gospel with others. When he he fills you, he sends you. That's how it works. In fact, the primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is Jesus says, you will be my witnesses when this power of the Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. You'll, You'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. You can't receive the power and not be a witness and you shouldn't try to be a witness without the power. The Holy Spirit is on a mission, and he uses people who are filled with the Holy Spirit to carry out that mission. There is no such thing as a Pentecostal church that is not also a missionary church. You and I are missionaries to our community and to our sphere of influence. As people of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus motivates us to take the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus to people who need it. That means before you're a farmer, you're a missionary. Before you're a nurse, you're a missionary. Before you're a teacher, you're a missionary. Before you're a secretary, you're a missionary. Your life as a Spirit-filled believer is a life of testifying to the goodness of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. That's what we live for. That's what our purpose is on the earth. You don't have to have all the answers or have a degree in theology to be a witness. Uh, it's, see, it's all in that word witness. You're not Jesus' lawyer. You don't have to defend him. You don't have to explain him. All you have to do is witness, to say what you have seen and what you have heard, to share your experience. And the Lord will take care of the rest of it. You just be the witness that he has called you to be. If you struggle with the boldness to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus, to share who Jesus is with other people, you need to get more in contact with the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to fill you even more because he will always give you the boldness to go and speak the truth of Jesus to those around you. The Holy Spirit's on a mission, and as Pentecostals, as people of the Spirit, we are on a mission. We're on a mission to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the first 10% of anything that comes into this church immediately goes out to serve missionaries all over the world and provide for God to reach unreached people groups. Uh, We have committed to pray for missionaries every week. We've committed to support missionaries with our prayer and finances. We're committed to get outside of the four walls of our church and be a witness in our community, even if it's while we're serving someone a hot dog this week at a basketball basketball team. We're being a witness of the love of Jesus, of the goodness of Jesus, the grace of God. And I've said it before, and I say it again. We are not here to play church. I did not come here to just have a good church service. We aren't here just to just to enjoy each other and be a a nice country club in the middle of in the middle of nowhere. We're not about that. We are here because Believers Fellowship is on a mission. I am on a mission. We are going to reach this community with the love of God. We're going to reach this community with the forgiveness and the life changing power of Jesus. And my sights aren't just on Belleville and they're not just on Yale County. I want to see this church have a global impact all over the world. We're going to give to God's mission. We're going to go on God's mission. We're going to send people out on God's mission because we are a church on mission. Amen? Last one. 
The Pentecostal life is a supernatural life. The scripture says that the earliest Christians were continually in awe and wonder at the signs and miracles God was doing in their church. There was an openness to the supernatural in the life of the early church. There was an expectation for the miraculous because they knew they couldn't do it without the miraculous. There was an anticipation that God, out of his love and out of his compassion for people, would sovereignly act in miracles and healings and deliverance. The supernatural acts of God were commonplace in the early church. And then the early Pentecostal movement of the 20th century, they restored to the church the belief that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus is still healing sick bodies. We just got a testimony this morning of a little girl we prayed for last week, was it? Two weeks ago, that she, though she, I can't remember her name, but she had lost her vision in one eye, right? Right. She was losing her vision, and they, they, they thought maybe a tumor. They thought different things, migraine, all these kinds of different things, but she couldn't see as well as she could before. And the other day, she just we prayed for her, and she said, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm claiming my healing in Jesus' name. Went to bed, woke up totally fine, totally healed in Jesus' name. Just got this testimony this morning. Jesus is still healing sick bodies. Jesus is still delivering the demon-possessed. That Jesus is still breaking off chains of spiritual bondage. The miracles of the Bible aren't over and they're not done. There are still miracles today, but the miracles come as a result of a people who are receptive to the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They saw miracles back then because they lived biblical holy lives. They, they lived lives full of prayer. They worshiped God. They put God on the throne of their lives, and they obeyed God and followed his leading to reach the world. And as they went on the mission, the supernatural followed them wherever they went. And you and I, we can see the same miracles today. And Jesus said we can see even greater miracles when we commit ourselves to holy lives, when we commit ourselves to prayer, when we commit ourselves to worship and being a, a person on God's mission, we will see the supernatural acts of God show up in unexplainable, incredible, magnificent ways when we're led by the Spirit, as we become people of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, the miraculous manifest work of the Spirit will be evident. Blind eyes will be open in this church. Crippled legs will start walking. Dead bodies can be raised. Chronic diseases be healed. Addicts set free. The hardest of hearts melted by the love of God. And as Pentecostals, we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in tongues and interpretation. We believe in prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge. We believe in miraculous hearing, healing. We believe it all because it's in the Bible. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe in our church, we are standing on the precipice, on the, on the edge of a great revival and a great outpouring of God's supernatural work through our church body. And I don't just mean in our church services. I mean when you go to work and pray for somebody, people are going to get healed. I mean when you go to your home and your family, you're going to see God moving even outside of a church service. I believe there's more that God has for us in the coming weeks and months. There is more he is calling us deeper into our, our, our pursuit of his presence. He's calling us further into the mission to reach our community. He's calling us to be truly Pentecostal, to be people filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 